0: Today I have a special honor and privilege to introduce to you my, my good friend and former employee, Jonathan Holliday. He's going to talk to us for a moment about international missions. He's He worked for me for a little over a year, about two, almost two years, and uh, decided that God was calling him to move to South Africa. Now, you all have heard me talk about him some before, and uh, he's going to take his family and move to South Africa and spread the word of Jesus to those people that don't have it or may have not never heard it or whatever else, so... Uh, Welcome, Jonathan. There's your microphone there. Hey,
1: how's it going, guys? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, look, have you all had your coffee yet? No, not yet? You should, that's, that's something we all need is coffee. I haven't had mine yet either. Um, so, yes, my name is Jonathan, and I'm glad to be here. It's a privilege and honor to be here and to, to share with you guys a little bit about what we're doing. Um and what my, my family and I, I don't my family is not here. I have four children they'd be running around this room if they were here, I promise. my, my beautiful wife is is taking care of them this morning um, at our, our home church which is in Spartanburg. Um, so we are going to South Africa. Um, but before we, before I tell you a little bit about that, I want to share with you why that is my heart really really briefly. Um, when I was 11, uh, my parents came to me and my, my, they said, Jonathan, we believe that God's calling us to go overseas. To, to share the gospel in Africa. So Africa's been a part of my heart for a long time. And my response to my parents was, my, and they said, look, if you say we can't do this, then we're not going to go, then we can't go because if it's, if it's our call, it's your call too. That's what my parents taught me from a very young age. And I believe that. And so at that, even at that moment, I said, well, Dad, if, if you are telling me that, that we need to obey Jesus and this is what Jesus is telling us to do, then we need to go. That we need to go. That is not something that I take lightly. It's something that I'm doing with my own children where as we walk them through what it means to obey Jesus and to follow him wherever he calls us to go at whatever the cost. That's hard. That's really difficult. Because it's, it, what we understood, what I began to understand over the next few years is that the cost of following Jesus is high. It is, very often in the United States, we think about the cost of following Jesus as going to church on Sunday, going to church on Wednesday, and reading our Bible. The cost of Jesus is higher than that, friends. It's higher than that. When, we were in, when I lived in East Africa, I lived there during a very tumultuous time, during what we now refer to as the Arab Spring, okay, in the late 90s. And during this time period, the Taliban became, became a thing that, that, that was around. Uh, while I was there, uh, my dad was held at gunpoint. Um, the while well, the Baptist Mission of Kenya, where he actually operated out of my he did a lot of finance stuff for the international mission board. he he was he was held at gunpoint and the whole place was robbed. He, he came out with, he came out with dinghy fever not long after he was laid up for two weeks. He doesn't remember that. I do. Um, it was very, very difficult. The u s. embassy in in Nairobi, Kenya, where I lived, about a mile from my house, and the one in Dar Salaam, which is in Tanzania, just across the border. Both of them were bombed by the Taliban while we were there. There was, there was a cost, there was a price on every, the head of every single American who was there. So let me tell you very clearly, when I'm talking about the cost of following Jesus, I was there. And I'm asking my children to step into that same place with me. I'm asking them to go too. We're headed to Johannesburg, and we're, we're really thrilled about this. We're excited to see what the Lord is going to do through us. And excited to see what the Lord is going to do through the people there. Every single day in Johannesburg, there are 200, at least, this is a very conservative number, there are at least 241 people who are dying without Jesus. Look around the room. That's more than this in this room right now, dying every single day without the hope of Jesus, being separated from God for eternity. And they need to hear about him. Amen? Amen. A few years ago, um, I, as, I was, as I was in seminary, and as I even a graduated seminary, I went to India about three times. I know, Chad, you said your son spent, spent two summers in India. I've, I've been to India three times. It has a big part of my heart, um, and I love it. Um, and I spent some time with some companies, some some international mission board people there, um, and I was able to, to walk through and see what they did. Um, we, what we did is we went from village to village and place to place, and we shared the gospel. Easy, right? But the bulk of what we did was we spent time with local pastors and local believers Teaching them what it means to actually follow Jesus—the same thing I'm trying to teach my children what to do, right? And the same thing that every parent in here, every grandparent in here, is trying to teach their own children what to do. We are trying to teach these people to do these same things. Here's what it means to follow Jesus. Here's what it means to obey Him day in and day out. We teach them how to share the gospel and teach them how to do these things. And you may say, "Well, that's that's for them." I, let me, this is this is an incredible thing that happened. I'm sitting. In this, I'm, I'm sitting in this this uh, this sanctuary that is packed. It's about uh, maybe from here over and from here to that wall, and it's the sanctuary. It's it's somebody's house. Okay. There's not a, there's not a, an empty space in the entire room. About two weeks beforehand, one of these guys had one of these guys had gone to this place. One of the pastors had come to this place and trained them in how to share the gospel. Train them in how to do this and how to do it. Well, I had sent them out to do that. had them practice and sent them out to do that. So my friend Evan, um, who's a really good friend of mine, he stood up and he said, okay, so last time you talked about sharing the gospel and, and got somebody to stand up and explain how to share the gospel really, really simply, okay? And then said, no, which one of you in the last two weeks has done this? Hands went up around the room. I'm not going to ask just us to do that in this room. But hands went up around the room. And there's one lady in the back, and, he, and Evan said, Ma'am, who, do, who have you shared the gospel with? And she stood up. And, guys, I just, I just, I'm going to get emotional about this because I, I can see it clear that she goes, Him, him, her, him, and all these people who'd come to faith. It was incredible. The work of the International Mission Board is that. That's why my wife and I are going. As I, as I follow these guys around and saw what they did, God began to burden my heart to say, this is what you are called to do. And so we're seeking to go do that in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you walk Johannesburg, South Africa, end to end, there's over 300 different languages spoken. The nations, as, as my home church pastor says, the nations are there. There are at least, and this is, very, very bare minimum that we know about. There are 49 unreached, unengaged people groups in Johannesburg. Now, what that means is, for our, for our understanding, unreached, unengaged means that the unreached people are there are less than 2% of that people group that is evangelical Christian, okay? So that means that of, those, of the people group, wherever they're from, whether they're from the country of Benin or the Congo or for whether they're from uh, Madagascar, only about 2% of them at maximum is Christian. So that means the gospel cannot flow through and be shared through that entire people group by the people of that people group. Does that make sense? Okay, so the, the idea of them being un, 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 unreached, that's what that is. The unengaged part means that there's nobody, no missionary that is sent specifically to that group that is actually making a dent in reaching those people yet. Does that make sense? So we're trying to go, my family... With my four crazy children. We're trying to go. Yeah, Carrie's laughing because she's seen them. She's seen them, and they are crazy. Um, she, we're trying to go and to do that, to do the work. We want to bang down the doors of hell and reach these people for Jesus. That's our heart. And so we're going with our family to do this. Now, we're not going alone. We're not going to be just out in the middle of, like, dropping in this middle, middle of the city. With the beautiful thing about the International Mission Board, and this is one of the reasons I want to share with you, is because we we have people there who do things like like pay bills. Well, that may sound like a crazy thing to you, but we have people who help make sure that people have running like that. All the missionaries have running cars, have the appropriate medical care. Their kids can actually get to the right schools and they're educated because we don't want our kids to grow up like me or like Jim you know <laughs> uh, we, we, we want them to actually grow up and, and like and we want to grow up and, and to be to thrive in these places so they're looking out for us they're making sure that we're taken care of too so that we can make sure these things happen now the reason that I'm here today is to, is not just to tell you guys stories about these things I could tell you story after story I could tell you things that happened to me and, and to my family and to my in-law's family because my 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 wife is also a missionary kid. I could tell you stories about things that have happened to us that you would go, I, I'm not sure that's real, but I promise you it is. That's not why I'm here. What I'm here to tell you is that there's three things that I'm asking you to do. Very three simple things. And you guys are already demonstrating one of them this morning, and I'm thrilled about it. The first one is pray. Would you pray with us? Would you pray not just for us, but would you pray for every single missionary that you know? The book of James says very clearly, it says, we do not have because we do not ask. Now, I mean, I could preach a sermon on prayer this morning, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave that to Chad in a little while. <laughs> but the heart of it is, is God has ordained prayer as what fuels everything. Prayer fuels the mission of God. Unpraying people is a pre- people that is not on mission. So I'm asking you to pray not just for us pray for yourselves my watch went off a few minutes ago every day at 10:02 I pray every morning at 10:02 rem- my watch goes off to remind me that Luke 10:2 says the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers for his field every morning at 10:02 my watch goes off and if I don't say something my son will he'll say, Judah will say dad your watch went off it's time to pray are you praying so I'm asking you to do that and I, if you want to talk about that more and want to know how to pray for us specifically, I'm glad to give you resources to do that. There's plenty of them to do, plenty of them to go around. Um, if you don't like how I look, I can give you plenty of other missionaries who would love to have your prayers too. I promise. Like I, 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 I will tear down the excuses for this. Two, I love that you guys are doing this already this morning. I'm, I'm asking you guys to give, not just as individuals but as a congregation. And You guys are already the Annie Armstrong. That's incredible. And if, if I wish any and all of you would go back and read the stories of Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong, it would make you feel, especially like for the for the men in here who feel like you're you're big and bad, it would make you feel small. Because these women, the reason that the two offerings, the two missions offerings for, for the Southern Baptist Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon, the reason they're named after women is because they're named after women who had heart and guts to go and do what men would not be willing to do. Who'd you give? And the third one is: Would you go? We are. There are one hundred and fifty-five thousand people every day in the world dying without Jesus, and they need to hear the gospel. Would you go? Not just. Not. I'm not telling you that you need to go to South Africa or Nigeria or Uzbekistan or. Romania or Russia and I have friends who are trying to get there right now and can't and there are people dying there without Jesus, I'm asking you, if you would go across the street too, would you go to the neighborhoods and the nations? And there are ways that we would like to see you guys do that and come and partner with us in Johannesburg. It's a big city. There's a McDonald's there, I promise. There's a, there's actually, Jim, there's a Popeye's chicken there. Yeah, there you go. Hey, he doesn't like, I guess on Popeye's. It's fine. Um, but there are, there, there's, there's, there, there are ways that you guys can come partner with us and see what it looks like to actually go on mission. Those are the three things I'm asking you to do, to pray, not just for us, but to pray for all the missionaries that you know, and all the ones, that you, and if, like, if you want to get connected with more of them, I'm glad to do that. Give, give Danny Armstrong, exceed your goal. Send people to all over North America so that maybe people may hear the gospel and come to know him and follow him, and then go, tell people. Because if you're not telling them Who is? Keep this in your mind. 155,000 people every day are dying without Jesus. That should do something to your heart. Can I pray for us? Is that okay? Okay. Jesus, we love you so much. We know that you're good. And we know that you have given us an incredible gift. God, even as I was reminded just this morning, that 1 Peter 5 says... That Paul was going out to fill up what was lacking in your sacrifice. And God, there wasn't anything that was lacking in what you had done on the cross, Lord. It's that the people were lacking to come to the feast. We need to go out and share the good news, Jesus. I pray that you would equip us to do that. And bless us in our pursuit until we obey you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all can stand
0: with us as we begin to worship. Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan thank you so much for sharing with us this morning I I pray that this morning we all have an urgency to see this world come to Jesus Christ I uh, I pray that you bear with me this morning I want to share with you something that we went over a couple of weeks ago but something grabbed my attention you see there's a story about the battle of dunkirk if you've ever read anything in history where the british army is trapped between the english channel and the german army and actually there was a code sent a message sent back to the mainland but if not this words moved a nation as a matter of fact you read history the english people civilians, crossed the English Channel and brought their soldiers home. But the code that was sent was, but if not, moved the people tremendously. You see, they recognized that those words came from the book of Daniel, where the three Hebrew children were standing before the king, and he says, who is this God that shall deliver you from my hand in this fiery furnace? And they answered, If it be God's will, He will remove us from your hand and this furnace. But if not, we still won't bow down before your graven image. They sent that message, say, Come get us. But if not, we'll die here. That moved me, if you've ever heard that story. Well, I had some of the similar kind of movement move me this week, and I can't shake it. You see, as we've been going through Daniel and Revelation on Sundays and Wednesdays, a lot of people, as I have stated, will read these books out of curiosity. We'll read the other books that are written about these two books out of curiosity. But let me tell you something. If it's only about your curiosity that you're interested, then we've got to regroup. Because if you can't look at God's Word and apply it to our lives... We're missing everything. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 9. Now, I preached on this again a couple of weeks ago. And after the message, it sent me to the hospital. But I'm going to tell you. But I'm going to tell you that I'm hung up on something that, some words that's really got my attention. Now, I'd spoken about how Daniel was a prayer warrior and how we need to be prayer warriors and not prayer consumers where we approach prayers consumers instead of prayers warriors. You've heard this man ask us to pray. And what I want you to do is I want to talk to you about prayer this morning. And what I want you to do is spend some time thinking, reflecting, and praying continuously. And let me explain what I mean. I want this church, for the next 30 days up into Easter, I'm gonna call you into a time of Fasting and prayer. We hear that fasting word. Especially in the Southern Baptist Church, we go, "Uh uh-oh. But I want you to go with me as I go through this text. And I'm asking that we pray for revival. You see, the Spirit of God alone sends revival. And I am praying not that these people, that people would fill these pews for Easter. I'm not praying for that. But I'm praying that people will be filled with Christ. And we want to see God's people be renewed, stand up, and share the good news. Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azuerus, Amid by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord, the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem Would be seventy. And here's the words that have moved my heart, and I can't get them off. So I turned my attention to the Lord. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, and I prayed the Lord my God, and I confessed. So I turned my attention. We live in a world of distractions. Let me give you a little heads up about distractions. It even happened this morning. I will have said, if you don't believe there's spiritual warfare, you've never tried to get your children ready for church. <laughs> and it seems that Satan attacks us so much on Sunday mornings, I know this. And this morning, as I'm a witness standing here to you today, that I got in the shower this morning. I told Tiffany, we're yelling back and forth trying to get rid of I said, You know, I got a funeral directly after church, and I need to go visit someone in the hospital after that. And I got to do this, and all of a sudden, wham! My shower collapsed, and I fall through it. And I'm going, Well, this is weird. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a contractor by trade, electrician, mechanic, and, and I'm going, This house is only three years old. This shouldn't be happening. But then it distracted me because now how am I going to fix it? Now I've got to tear all this out. That's what Satan wants to be distracted. And there are so many distractions. And I got into thinking about this. Now, how is this applicable? How many of you are distracted in your prayer life? Listen to me. And I pray that you go with me on this. This is very serious. Because I am often distracted. I tell people I have my quiet time when I'm going to work because it's a long commute and when I'm coming back. But I'm very easily distracted when I get my attention off what I'm supposed to have my attention on. There's a movie that came out years ago called Up. Now, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a cute little movie, a little cartoon movie about an older gentleman whose wife died and he meets a kid and a dog. And you remember the dog in the movie would be, had his attention, all of a sudden, squirrel. That's the way we are and we laugh at that. But we're very easily distracted. And I looked at this, and it was hitting me hard. So it says, so I turned my attention to the Lord God. What he was doing was reading the words of Jeremiah. And remember how I preached to you the other week, that prayer and study of the Word of God hand in hand, people. He was reading the Word of God and reading the words of Jeremiah. And his heart was moved. So... As a result of, he turned his face, he turned his attention to the Lord God. Let me tell you exactly what that means. He set his face toward Adonai Elohim, the master of all good things, the master of all great things. He turned his attention. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this morning, about turning your attention to the Lord God Almighty. Who has your attention? Have you ever been one of those people that you really sincerely want to pray? You want to reach out. You want to do what you're supposed to do. But so many things thwart your attention. You've done it in bed. I know I have. That I've been laying down and I'm more concerned about sleep than I am prayer. And then I'll pray for a few minutes and drift off to sleep. Or, I know I'm supposed to be spending time doing this, and something will happen, like falling through your shower, that will get your attention off what you're supposed to do. But what I want to encourage you is this you have to set your attention to the Lord God. What does that mean? I'm going to give you a P. It's called posture. What is your posture when you pray? What is your posture? And I got into thinking about this and I couldn't help but, but think about my grandfather. Many times I would see him on the porch and he'd be talking and I thought he was crazy but he was praying because that was his alone spot where he could look at the nature of God. I can remember at night my grandmother and my grandfather getting on their knees beside their bed and praying. And given Christ their own undivided attention. See, I think that's what we fail in a lot of times. That we don't have the correct posture when we go to the Lord for prayer. And when we're not in the correct posture, things easily distract us. You see, me, you saying, Chad, I gotta get on my knees everywhere. No, but what I'm telling, telling you is this does God have your full attention? And do you put yourself in a position where God has your full attention? You see what Daniel's doing when he approaches the throne of God. He is humbling himself. He is understanding that he is to go before God with a broken and contrite heart. Reaching the face of God in purity, in seriousness. And I pray and I pray and I pray... That if you do not have a heart for prayer, you pray and ask God for one. So his attention was turned to Adonai Elohim, the master of all great things. Let me tell you something. He is worthy. He is worthy. And look what the Bible says. So I turned to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Why is fasting such a scary word for everybody? Let me tell you what fasting means. It's depriving yourself for your focus on prayer deprivation of you for the Lord. Let me put it to you like Ray Pritchard said. Fasting means to be serious about prayer that you don't even have time to eat. You say, Chad, well, that's extreme. Let me tell you what else is extreme that sin that's in our lives. And those people that are going to hell, that's extreme too. But we devote our attention to prayer and we fast, we miss that meal, we spend in that time focusing on Jesus Christ. Our face is turned to the Lord God Almighty. I want you to think about it this way. You see, it's very interesting to me because I think a lot of times we don't, really grasp what it means to deprive ourselves. You see a lot of times we pray as we're giving a nod to God on our way by. Hey God. That's how we become consumers. Remember we talked about this. But when you fast and deprive yourself for the reason and for the sole purpose of attending to God's face to seeking His face, to seeking His presence, to go before Him, it means that your focus is on Him without distraction. We wonder why so many times that we don't see things going our way, and that's another subject for another day, or we wonder why our prayers are not answered, or we wonder why we don't have a good prayer life, It's because our attention is not on God, but on ourselves. And we consumers, which we purchase from God, we try to bargain with Him. But He approached the throne with fasting. You'll see that fasting is a, a normal thing. You know it was used in mourning. When David mourned over Jonathan, he was used in critical decisions, as you will find in the book of Esther. But fasting was always used as a deprive of oneself, to stand focused intently on the throne of God. But just like other things, as we see in the New Testament, it become ritualistic it can you see where I served for a few years in Pennsylvania there was a holiday that they had and I've shared this with you called Fosnot or Donut Day now Donut Day was the day before Lent where they got rid of all you eat all the goodies you could before you went to the 40 days of fasting in Lent and that's what it is Donut Day and and they would make donuts and I'll be honest with you that's quite a great holiday for, for those who have never been involved in it but come to understand that okay, now I want to eat and consume all the nastiness I can because I can't for the next 40 days. Okay, and Lent really is a commemoration of Jesus that fasted in the desert for 40 days. But here's the thing. A lot of people, and this is where I'm going to talk about ritualistic, a lot of people would, especially during break because I was bivocational, vocational, would talk about things to give up for Lent. Well, I'm going to give up Chocolate. I give up TV last year and I'm going to get, now here's the thing, it became more of a competition or something to do flippantly, ritualistically, than rather for Jesus. Now I'm not saying Lent to hear me is not a bad thing in itself, but if you're doing ritualistically, then there's a problem. And, and I may have shared this with you, I won't forget a guy come up to me and said, well what do you think I should give up for Lent? And I said, well how about sin? And that didn't lay too well. But my point is this, it becomes ritualistic. And you will see this happens in the New Testament. Jesus will address this. That people, oh, I'm fasting. Oh, Lord. I've got to send a text to everybody. I'm fasting. I'm just letting you know. Chad, you don't look good. I know I'm fasting. <laughs> and what happens is, don't do it. It's not to be recognized for what you do. It's you recognizing who Christ is. And there's a difference. And I pray that you join me in these next 30 days for prayer and fasting for a revival. And I'm not telling you not to eat for 30 days. When I shared this with my son, he said, you're asking the people not to eat for 30 days? <laughs> Maybe I should, I don't know, but i tell you this. I'm asking you to join with me. But look also how he turned his face to the Lord. Look what he says. Listen. With fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Let me tell you about sackcloth and ashes for a few moments. A sackcloth is rough. It's an external wrapping. It is a reminder, let me tell you this in in, in, in Greer-Indian terms. It's a continuously reminder that even the comfort that you have on in your own clothes, you do not deserve. It's being bruised, it's being broken, it's being wrapped. Sackcloth and ashes. Going to the throne of grace with a broken heart. True mourning. Let me tell you something about sin. And and I think we miss this when it comes to to even salvation. That sin or repentance, okay, repentance of sin is not just feeling sorry for sin. It's turning from it. It is a brokenness in which you repent of that sin. I don't want to go this direction anymore. Turning from sin, not feeling sorry for it. You see, it's very interesting to me that a lot of times in our prayers, part of our P, our posture, is that of a flippant posture, which we go to God just... Quick and casual is, Lord, thank you for this day. Forgive me of my sins. Have a great day. Lord, make sure that I get whatever I'm supposed to have tomorrow. You see? What Daniel is doing, and we went through this, is not only was he moved by the word of God, he turned his total attention to God, deprived himself for God and said, God, I'm broken because we have done this. Yes, we have built cisterns of our own making. We have sinned. We have worshipped idols. We have fallen from you. And God, I repent. Which means, God, I'm not sorry. God, I'm turning. Because you are worthy. Brothers and sisters, if we want to see revival, we've got to get the right posture. And number two, if we want to see revival, we have to make it the right priority. Christ is above all. He is first and foremost. I read tons of books. Now, 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 now go with me on this for a few moments. I read tons of books, and, and, and or I, let me tell you what, I skim tons of books. How about that? In a lot of the books that we read today, our own prayer consumerism and i want you to understand just like this gentleman stood up here the first thing that we need to be praying for is god you be glorified and lord convict the hearts of the lost we spend more time praying saints out of heaven than we do for sinners that are going to hell now that hurts but I want you to think about this for a few minutes. That person that is born again, believer in Jesus Christ, if they leave this earth, they in his presence, that person that is lost is in hell and there ain't no coming back. And where he is saying even where these all these people groups, where all these people groups, somebody's got to go, and they're going. Brothers and sisters, we live in a nation where the average person has six to eight Bibles where we don't face the persecution and yet people don't share the gospel. It's time we got serious. And if we want a revival, we got to be serious about revival. And if we're going to be serious about revival, we need to approach the throne of grace with serious attention toward the face of God depriving ourselves to keep our attention on God and to approach that throne of grace with sackcloth and ashes. In other words, we need to be broken and we need to be mourning. Jesus told him very clearly, blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. Read that in context. Those that are mourning are mourning for their condition. Let me tell you something. When you mourn for your condition as a person that is in sin, God will heal you. He will bless you. He will use you. But we've got to be serious about sin. Look, here I am studying. This word has been on my heart all week. And we've been going through Daniel, and we, we are so curious, and we've got into the controversial parts of Revelation all the meals and the tribs, and, the, and you know, all this stuff's coming up, and people are fascinated. But listen if our focus is not on Jesus Christ, and to know this, regardless if Jesus tarries or not, you are going to die. Every one of you. The death rate is still one out of every one die. I would like to tell you I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, but actually I have. It was a joke. But the thing about it was, well, they couldn't bury that U-Haul. And it didn't help in the afterlife, because I can tell you this. what you came into this world as nothing, you will leave with nothing. But I tell you this, I pray you leave with Christ. And see, to understand the urgency, if we want to see a revival, then we got to be serious about seeing revival. And that's what I'm praying, because let me tell you, in the Reader's Digest version again, what happens in the book of Daniel? You see, when Daniel approached God and he humbled himself and he confessed and he mourned and he grieved and said, God, forgive us of our sins. Have mercy upon us. God said, I'm sending the deliverer. Your captivity is over. But let me tell you something. There's a great deliverer coming. His name's Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, people. If you are what you say you are, and you are born again believer in Jesus Christ, let me assure you of this. If you're his, you'll live like you're his. You see, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Daniel and this, these, these Hebrew children, they've been in captivity, and they'll be in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And then the Persians come onto the scene. And you'll see different things happen. But there's always been a promise that God is faithful. And He will hold His remnant. We talked about this Wednesday in the book of Nahum, or Nahum, however you want to say it, where the same story of Nineveh, where God spared them 200 years to later, He destroyed. Because God's, God's wrath is real. But those that are in Him, are sealed And I want you to understand this. I can't believe in all my heart. Listen, I cannot believe with all my heart and my life, that if you are a born-again believer, if you are truly a born-again believer, how can you not have the desire in your heart to see other people saved? I can't, people. Because when I got saved, I wanted to tell people about it. That's why people was going to other countries. When people ask us, who are you and why are you here? Used to be a common question people would ask us. And where are you from? Well, my name's Chad. Chad. And I'm from Greer. But I am here because one day Jesus Christ made a difference in my life. And I pray he makes a difference in yours. We must go to the throne with our attention focused on Christ. I'm begging you, church and family, listen to me. Please join me in the next 30 days that we are praying for revival. I believe revival can come. But I believe we got to set our houses in order. Not only our houses, all of our houses. We need to see the urgency for the gospel proclaimed. We need a desire in our heart to spend time on our knees and in God's word. You see what happens when you go before God, and it's not a consumer or self-glorification, but glory to God, and we get in tune with God's will? Not my kingdom come, your kingdom come. God will use us as instruments for his glory and people can be saved. Will you join me? I want to close with this. Paul Harvey part, rest of the story. I got to thinking about that story of Dunkirk, but if not, they said back then there were such scholars that many people recognized those words. And something hit me right in the chest that I want to give a shock factor to you. How many people in America would recognize those words? Would those three words move to our nation? Would we recognize them immediately? Would the church recognize them immediately? Would we? My prayer, my prayer with all things is not that Live and Wake Community Church have 300 people on Sunday attendance. I told you. I'm not called here to fill the pews. My desire, and I'm sure his is, is not to fill the church with people, but fill the people with Christ. Listen. I ask you as you go to the Lord in prayer and and fasting, that when you go with a broken, contrite heart, who's the first person that we all look at? Us. Us. Where do you stand? If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you don't have that fire, I pray that you ask God for it. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can. You see, it's very clear to me that what it means is, simply put this way, it's not believing that Jesus exists heard me say this if my wife says she believes in me she knows I exist I'm 300 pounds of existence I'm right here in front of you When my wife says she believes in me she is committed to know that I as her husband will do the great great the best that I can for her will for her life it's not believing that Jesus Christ is committing to him that his word and his work on the cross are real and they are life-changing which means when you commit to Christ, you turn from your sin. I like to tell people this. If you're going down the road and you see a U-turn and you have to turn around, what do you do? You change directions. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So when you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you have placed your faith and trust in him, you turn from your sin. You change directions. The Bible tells me that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Baptism does not save us. Our parents going to church does not save us. You going to church all your life will not save you. Praying a prayer does not save you. It's placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and turning from your sin and clinging to him. You know, I want you to understand that A lot of times, just like me, and I shared this with somebody the other day. You know, my little story is this. I grew up in church. My grandfather was a minister, and I knew all the right answers. I knew them all, or most of them. If I didn't know them, I would make something up. But I grew up knowing about Jesus and believing that Jesus but not believing in Jesus. You see, attendance does not save you. But it was that night, after having a clear understanding of what it means for God to so love the world, that that night in my bathroom, I fell on my knees and I asked God for mercy. And he gave it to me. And let me tell you something. I've never been the same. You cannot be impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ and be the same people. It can't happen. You are changed. And when God changes you, He gives you a new nature. He forgives you of your sin and gives you the desire to grow close and to serve Him to seek him and to share him. God, I pray that if you don't know him, you turn to him before it's eternally too late. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And as I've shared with you, with COVID going on and everything, we've all learned a little bit about our mortality now more than ever, right? Nations are at war with nations, there's threats. There's problems. There's fear. But there's no fear on this earth that can be sent your way that is more mightier than the fear of God. Because one day we're going to stand before Him. And I pray that you have placed your faith and trust in Him. What is the gospel? It's the proclamation of the work and person of Christ, whereby you and I can have reconciliation to God through Christ alone. Have you been reconciled? Again, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you say, Chad, I'm struggling, and you spend time on prayer and prayer, and you ask God for forgiveness, and you ask him for that heart for prayer, you ask him for that desire to study God's word more intently, as I've said many, many times before, and I want everybody to hear this clearly, it's time we stop eating at the kitty table and start eating with the adults. We've got to eat adult food. For when I was a child, I did childish things. But when I became an adult, I put those things away. It's time we started eating the Word of God and focusing on it and grow up. Because I am going to tell you, as he said, the hundreds of thousands of people that are dying and going to hell, how will they know without the word of God being shared to them? God never called any of us to be idle. And so my prayer to you today is this. Please join with me. Please join in me with praying and fasting and repenting and praying for God's kingdom to come praying for revival. And I promise you this. Listen to me. If we existed only for one person to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ it'd be worth it all. If they go overseas and one person is touched by the gospel and we're going to pray there's thousands and thousands. But if one person is touched, it's worth it all, people. Because that's one less person in hell. And remember, as I always say, if people go to hell, they ought to be tripping over every one of you on the way. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I going to pray and as I ask the church to enter with me in this time of fasting and prayer, that on Good Friday at 6 o'clock, we'll be having a Good Friday service and communion. I pray that we were renewed, we are restored, and we pray with priority, posture, An expectation of the greatness of God. Please join with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your many mercies and blessings. God, you are alone worthy of all praise. And to you be the glory great things you have done. God, I pray today that you look and examine our hearts that, Lord, we would remove any iniquity. Lord, we ask you to remove it. We ask you to cleanse us. Lord, if there's obstacles that hinder us, Lord, may the obstacles be removed. God, we are praying for renewal and a revitalization of your people. That, God, we get a fire for the gospel and get a fire to share. That, God, people would come to a saving relationship with your son Jesus Christ. God, we pray for Jonathan and his family as they leave, maybe this week, maybe next, we don't know. short timing, God. But God, I pray that you place a hedge of protection around them. And Lord, you give them opportunities, means, financially, physically, spiritually, Lord, fill them as they do your work, Lord, they, you don't need us, God, but you have called us to be obedient. And they are being obedient to your call as well as other missionaries, and we pray for them. God, how will they know unless they hear the word? God, I pray that we be an instrument to this community. That, God, we pray today that even someone sitting in this church could be the next missionary. Lord I pray that it should fill us with urgency Lord we have a purpose that you have called us for every person here has been called for a purpose and God I pray you use us for your glory God I pray that every message that is preached every song that is sung from here from this pulpit in this stage to we all leave this earth will be for your glory and your glory alone. Lord, that we would deny ourselves, that we may decrease that you may increase. God, as we struggle with the maybe idea of fasting, Lord, we pray for strength. But God, I'm praying today that just like Daniel, our attention is focused to Adonai Elohim. That God, through repentance, through mourning, through brokenness, through deprivation, that there's no distractions. And God, I believe we can come through this with all my heart with you being glorified and us being used and blessed by your presence. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray. That as the last song is sung and we leave leave this church, as we leave these doors, we enter into a mission field. And we'll give you the praise and glory for it. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Please stand and worship with us.